0: My father, who was in World War II, used to talk about somebody, if you want somebody in a foxhole with you, you know, that kind of person. That's Marcello. He's the guy you want in the foxhole. Uh, there's,
1: there's one guy I'd like in the foxhole. What? There's one guy I'd want in the foxhole. Who's
0: that? The one upstairs. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a that good
1: he, choice. And I, that, I would wish he wasn't calling me.
0: Well... I would hope not. No. I would hope not. So I, we've probably been recording now, and that's kind of an interesting anecdote to start with because they say there are no atheists in a foxhole. You know, people
1: that's, are... That's true. Yeah. I've had that problem before. And when I was in boot camp, we had a terrible electric storm. And there were all kinds of people in in our barracks. And everyone was on their hands and knees praying. I was fascinated by the the lightning and everything. And I went outside on the porch where there was a roof over it so I could see the the weather developing, you know. And uh, we had one young man that was looking out the window and a lightning bolt hit the small tree. And it blinded him.
0: Oh my goodness! And
1: uh, he was sent. He was sent home.
0: Oh my goodness! They, they, they
1: wouldn't keep him anywhere. They couldn't keep him because they, they couldn't see.
0: But you were not on your hands and knees. You were out there looking at the weather. Isn't yeah. that interesting? So we are here today with Tom Smith, who I found out about him because I got a letter to the editor from Sandra Stemple kisselbeck about his recent trip to Washington, D.C. on an honor flight. And so we're hoping to hear about that today, but we're also hoping just to hear about you and your service. Let's start with the honor flight. Tell us about how that came to be, how you got involved in that.
1: Well, I used to work at the Alta Montfeiffer, Oh. 23, 24 years. What did you do at the Alamont Fair? uh, I drove the trams, and I took care of the trams. Oh, wow. And uh, at the Alamont Fair down at Gate 3, they put up a barn. Now, I don't know. There's a specialty about the barn where there's no nails in it.
0: Yeah, it's for the old song performances and it's an old Dutch barn so it's post and beam and it's all ten joints it's a beautiful barn yeah
1: well at that time there was a group of uh, people that were trying to recruit people to go to on this on the flights and I, I at that time wasn't too much interested but I talked, to, you know, and I talked to the people, and I said, "Well, someday maybe I'd like to go down on one." And uh, it went many years since then, because uh, well, I'd say it was probably. <laughs> Gotta be better than twenty twenty five years ago.
0: Oh my gosh! So you remembered that for a long time, and I'm yeah. just going to do a little interruption here because I just looked up the history of the honor flight, and it was two different men in two different parts of the country that were interested in getting that going, and um, one was a, a physician's assistant in Ohio, and he had a lot of elderly patients who were World War II veterans, and they kept talking about when the monument was built for World War II that they were going to go, but they never did. And another was a business owner in the Carolinas who had a father who had been in World War Two and just could see the importance of going. So it started this whole network, this whole organization where people contribute so that veterans like yourself get to go to D.C. and see the monuments. Had you ever been in Washington, D.C. before? Yes, I
1: had. But I was there as a, a young man, a boy. Yeah. My dad took us over there. Yeah. But at that time, it was basically the Washington Monument. And the uh, Lincoln Monument mm-hmm. and the Jefferson Monument. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went to, and saw those. But uh, I took my family down after I was married and had children. I took them down, and uh, uh, I—I'm th- not sure whether the Vietnam War was up at that time, but
0: the wall, the, the uh, long yeah. wall, yeah.
1: Well, uh, the uh, the World War Two was not there. Uh, the Mount Ziribashi monument was not there. The uh, Air Force was not there. In fact, they said that uh, because of uh, uh, if the Air Force monument had been there, the plane that hit the Pentagon building. Could never have hit it. Oh
0: my goodness!
1: Because they they were over 170 feet high, or something of that nature. And there's three different uh, things. It looks like the. Have you ever seen the uh, the Thunderbirds do the missing missing plane, plane formation? Yes. Yeah. Well, when they do that, they they peel off, two peel off the side, one peel off, and each one of those spears or Spires, or whatever you want to call them, each one of them is uh, a different height. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they claim that if the plane coming in could never have got to the building because it couldn't have got low enough. If they went over the top of these monuments, they couldn't have hit the building. They would have been past the I building see. Isn't before they could get it down.
0: Huh. So we were back 25 years ago when you first heard of this. And what made you decide now at this point in your life? How old are you?
1: Now I'm 87.
0: Oh, my goodness. And so what made you decide at age 87 that you wanted to take this Well,
1: I, uh, I am a, a friend of, uh, oh, I can't remember now. Uh,
0: Is it the town supervisor? Yeah, Jennifer and... Uh, Sean Lyons. Sean Lyons.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, I was down to see Sean for, on something altogether different. And he happened to mention, in fact, about the honor flight. And I said, yeah, I, you know, I, I'd like to go down on them one of these days. Why not now, he says. So I went and... Uh, uh, he he got me in touch with the right right people, but he works on that with the group that does the management of the honor flights, and his wife works as a companion on the honor flights. So uh, he asked me if I'd like to go. He said, uh, "Let me let me check and see if I can uh, I can get you." On the pl- on the flight, so it turns out he did get me on the flight, and uh, well, his wife uh, was my companion.
0: So tell us about your day from start to finish.
1: Okay, my day started quarter after four in the morning.
0: Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's not, that's not the time you usually wake up. I take no, it. No. Okay.
1: And. Uh, Sean and Jennifer picked me up at my house because they both live up on the the hill where I live. And they stopped and picked me up, took me over. We went to uh, the CBA school. And that's where this picture
0: is taken. And what um, Tom has there is a pamphlet of the day. It's a glossy pamphlet. And there's a picture on the cover that has... All of the veterans gathered together that went on this particular trip. So that's a nice memento. Yeah.
1: So then we, uh, they took us over to CB8 school. And in this booklet it also has a, a picture of the boys that go to school there. And because that is a military-type school, mm-hmm. uh, they all have uniforms. And they, they they remind you so much of the the marine uniform, they're so neat and trim, you know. So anyhow, how they they ushered us in and into and wherever we had to go. When they, we went in the door, I got this shirt that I have on.
0: And the shirt is a blue polo shirt with an insignia that has a flag, an American flag, and are those wings? I, I'm i looking across the table trying to see exactly what it is. Yeah, um, well, that's
1: an, e- that's an
0: eagle underneath. Okay. This is it's very patriotic looking and also I should mention the hat that Tom is wearing which I had to ask what it was and it is a picture of his ship he had served in the Navy during the Korean War and it's the USS Wright so he is dressed (laughs) for this podcast so let's go back to you're at CBA greeted by these young men in uniform they
1: they put, put us all together so we could have this picture taken mm-hmm. and, uh, and our companions for the day were, were meeting each one because uh, actually Jennifer pushed me around in a wheelchair all day and I was uh, uh, Monday Tuesday and Wednesday I was in, uh, in uh, St. Peter's Hospital because I had uh, I had gone in Monday morning with my wife to Walmart's to do some shopping. And I walked in, my wife went in one door, I went in the other, because I usually ride one of the electric carts. Mm-hmm. But I got inside the door, and all of a sudden my legs went like rubber. I couldn't stand up.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So I flopped my way over trying to get to her. A bench that they had there, and uh, I got over there, and right, th- right in front of the bench was a gentleman with a cart, and he couldn't get out of the way in time, and I couldn't get to the, to the bench, so I just grabbed a hold of the basket on the cart and lowered myself to the floor, and uh, then the, uh, I, after I was down. I kind of passed out,
0: oh my goodness,
1: so they called an ambulance, took me into the into the hospital and and on Wednesday, they released me.
0: Are you all right? yeah,
1: but on Wednesday, they released me. Then I had two days to recover. <laughs> Thursday and Friday. So,
0: just Just after this hospital experience, you still made the trip. You still two days
1: later, three days
0: later. Wow! So it must have really meant a lot to you.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's no, no question. It was one of the finest days that I've had in my lifetime.
0: Oh, isn't that Uh, a very exciting day? So, what happened after you had your group picture taken? You were then. Taken to the airport.
1: Yes, but that was that was important too.
0: Oh, okay. Because
1: we went we went outside. They had two buses, CDTA buses, I believe they were, and they, they took us to the airport. But the exciting part of taking us to the airport was that they had a fire engine, and I don't know how many, fifteen or so. I didn't. I couldn't actually count them, but I would guess there's something like that. Uh, motorcycle group mm-hmm. with flags on them, which do all these honest stuff. In fact, they were here in in Altamont two weeks
0: later for
1: a funeral or a Flag Day or whatever. It
0: was. Yeah, we've taken pictures of them. There are yeah. two different groups. There's the Patriot Guards, and then the. American Legion here in Altamont has the Legion Riders, and they're a very dedicated group. Yeah,
1: they're they're great people. But anyhow, they, uh, they escorted us over to the airport. We all had to wait till everybody got off the bus. And then we all went into the airport together. And we opened the door... And I must—I'll be conservative. There had to be over 150 people or more there.
0: Oh, was that a surprise? Absolutely. We yeah. didn't know. We
1: didn't know this was happening.
0: And this is at the crack of dawn. Still, yeah. really early. Yeah.
1: And uh, it turns out that there was uh, a bunch of Boy Scouts. There was a, uh, a choir from one of the schools that sang for us. There was a bunch of uh, flag bearers that were in Boy Scouts military, and they were all there carrying the flags. There was all kinds of people there. uh, Senator uh, Paul Tonko was there. Oh, the congressman. uh, Dan McCoy was there. And a lieutenant, executive. a lieutenant general from the service was there, and not general, lieutenant lieutenant commander, I think it was, a lieutenant colonel. I I can't remember what what his rank was, but he was there, and they all spoke to us, and uh, we were we were all given a bag, which is um, what I'm carrying. We were all given that bag, all full of goodies, you know, candies, pretzels, <laughs> all kinds of stuff to use that day to feed on the flight for us and our companions. When we got on the flight, we got stuck on the car for almost an hour. The uh, there was a window or something, it was leaking the air, and they wouldn't take off without repairing it first. So we we had over a hundred people in on that plane, and that, that that included the veterans and the and the companions. And uh, we went on on the trip. Got down to. Uh, Baltimore uh, where the flight landed then going from when we got out of the I know when we got I, I got to straighten it out when we came into Baltimore there was two fire engines one on one side one on the other and as we came around, taxied around to, to get into the airport, these two fire engines had fire cannons and they fired water over. Oh, the, like an over arch. The, like oh, an arch over the top. Yeah,
0: so you had well, fanfare leaving and fanfare well, to, arriving.
1: Every place we went.
0: Oh, my.
1: And we had, uh, when we got into the, the airport, everybody in the airport was, running up and shaking our hands and thanking us for our service, which has made us all feel great. And uh, then we got into, we left the airport. We got onto some buses, two buses there, and we had a uh, police escort, one in front, one in back, sirens going all the way, going up the highway, to take us into Washington and to the, uh, where the monuments were. They they had, uh, like I said, the sirens were going. The one in the back, every once in a while, would run up alongside us so that we could keep going at a full speed. It would run up alongside us and block off the entranceway Everybody that was on the highway, because of the sirens going, pulled off and just let us go by. And then this this one in the back would pull up and block off the entrance so nobody could come onto the, onto
0: you know, the merge freeway. into the traffic. So it was like the Red Sea parting. The traffic was parting. <laughs> you were going Sim- straight similar through. Similar to that, yes. Yeah.
1: But then we got into the... Uh, the first thing we saw, I guess, was the uh, Pentagon building
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the Washington Monument. We pulled over. Uh, we pulled over by the Wa- Washington Monument, and then we all unloaded there. Then we went to each one of the monuments, and all of the monuments. We had so much time for each one. So we went, to, I think, to Mount Suribachi. I don't know if you remember about the Marines raising yes. the flag on Mount Suribachi.
0: Yes, a six-week battle, the, one of yeah. the bloodiest. and well, yes. That was the one that
1: uh, was, I think that was the first one. Then there was, I may get these out of order, but there was the um, Air Force one. Which was that big, tall showing the missing missing pilot,, mm-hmm. and uh that's where I learned about the the fact that they were so high that a plane could never have got down to the building without hitting those those spires first, mm-hmm. and if they hit them, then they would have never got Been to deflected, the yeah. But uh, they also had a color guard of uh, men, you know, the two on the outside carrying rifles and then the two flags on the inside. And uh, they... Uh, all of these monuments are so... pain's making me almost like the people are there, but they're monuments.
0: Well, I looked up because I didn't know what the Korean War monument looked like, and I found it almost shocking. It's a whole group of men in ponchos, like rain ponchos, and they look like life-size people. Yeah, they are. Yeah, what an unusual... You think of monuments as usually being... Sort of like the World War II monument, you know, pillars that are kind yeah. of formal. Or we're we're very familiar with the Vietnam War monument, which is that shiny, shiny wall with names. But to kind of recreate what it was like, what what was your impression when you saw the Korean? Because you would that was your war. I was
1: so impressed with all of them. Yeah, I I I don't say that I don't think that uh, uh, the Korean monument. Meant any more to me than any of them did, because I am a, f- I have uh, five brothers, and we've all been in the service. Oh, We my all goodness. we all enlisted in the service at one time or another.
0: So, my- your family, you had who? Like, tell me a little about your family growing up. What What did your parents do for a living?
1: Oh, my father was a tile setter.
0: Uh, and was he somebody who had also been a veteran? or no. no? What made you, all five of you, so patriotic, so...
1: Well, we, un- if unfortunately, or maybe fortunate, I don't know, we were at that time in, in history of being where the wars were so close together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the Second World War was supposed to be The end of wars, but that isn't the way it
0: happened. No. So So, you were in the Navy. What about your other brothers?
1: My my oldest brother was 20 years in the Air Force.
0: Oh, he was a career Air Force person. Mm -hmm.
1: My next oldest brother was a Marine. My next oldest brother was in the Navy. I was in the Navy. And my youngest brother was in the Marines so they all they all were uh, served time,
0: well, your mother must have been a nervous wreck, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how did she get through that? All five of her boys, but you all survived you no,
1: know, we all survived it was we were all very fortunate to uh we were in you know when you go into service, you don't tell them where where you're gonna go, they tell you where you're gonna go, and uh we were all stationed at different places that didn't involve being on the land where the wars were being fought.
0: But you were in the navy during the time of the Korean War, so you were part of that effort. You were.
1: Oh, I have I have the Korean uh, ribbon,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, but uh, I was in that area, mm-hmm. and over. In fact, they were bombing Quimo Island that we could see from the ship. We could see all the bombs going off and everything on the island. But the, uh, uh, all of us and my brother, my oldest brother, who was in the Air Force, he served in, he was the organist, choir director, and, uh, uh he, he was the, he was the organist for the air force academy for 4 years
0: so he was very musical
1: oh yeah he'd been playing since he was 3 years old
0: what did he play what instrument
1: well he played piano yeah. and He played the organ played the oh uh, violin the, uh, the accordion oh
0: my goodness uh
1: and my next oldest brother was a trumpet player, a drummer, and trombones.
0: Do you play something? I played at
1: the <laughs> <laughs> I played at the saxophone.
0: Oh, that's a cool instrument. I started
1: I started with a clarinet, but I, my fingers weren't big enough to cover the holes when I was just a young boy. And so they uh, the band leader said why don't you try the saxophone? I said, okay. So, I got a saxophone, but I got a soprano sax, which is only about that big. And uh, before I was done, I added soprano sax, I had an alto sax, and I had a uh, an E flat tenor sax.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, I know when we were talking on the phone just to set up the podcast, you talked about, and it's a common term, how the Korean War is the forgotten, forgotten war. war. And yeah. so it would be just good to hear a little about your own experience. What We know what ship you were on yeah. <laughs> because it's embroidered on your hat, but tell us, tell us about life on that and what... Like what you did, what your duties were, what it was like during the war to be. Okay, to be
1: there. I came. I went to Bainbridge, Maryland for my basic training.
0: Then and this from, is where you had that experience where there was the lightning storm. Yes. That, okay, yes. that you opened the conversation with.
1: And then I went to uh, uh, Norfolk, Virginia, and down to. Uh, uh, Gitmo, which was Guantanamo Bay in Cuba where I picked up my ship and we went on a trip to uh, the, the Mediterranean.
0: And what were your duties on the ship? What I distilled
1: water. The ship I was on was a steam ship. Mm-hmm. It was powered by steam. And uh, the water to run the boilers had to have absolutely no salt in it, and we were making water from the from the sea. Now, as we were going along, and so we had the we had so much water for for the boilers, then they had, we had fifteen hundred men on the ship plus five hundred squadron on the ship that we had to supply. Ship tanks for, which would be, uh, it could be a lot more salt in it, but it's not what it come out of the ocean. That it still had to be treated, and we um, we made we made the water for the boilers and and the ship's tanks. We had two double effect boilers in the forward engine room, and we had one triple-effect boiler in the mess deck area.
0: That's really fascinating. And now that I, I've heard you say this, of course it makes perfect sense. You're out on the ocean, you need water, but you can't use the salt water, so you'd have to have your own distilling plant on yes. the ship in order to get the water salt-free. Right. So you were in the Mediterranean, and then what?
1: Oh, I was in Scotland, Holland, France, Italy, Gibraltar. Oh, so
0: you really saw the world. The Guatemala, ads say, join Trinidad, the military, see the world. Oh.
1: To the Panama Canal.
0: And how old were you at this time? Be 20. So young, very young. D- I'd be 20. Did you do it? Does anyone, 20 to 24. Is any well. young, one place stand out in your mind is. Really, mm, eye opening.
1: Really, I uh, I like many places, but of all of the now, so many people are interested in going to foreign countries mm-hmm. and thinking that the women and the men are so so superior to to us. But I got news for them. They're not. <laughs> they don't even come close. And there is no no place I've been, and I've been in China and Japan, Hawaii, you know, all those places. And uh, I've been up to the North Atlantic. I'm ordering the Blue Nose, they call it, because I crossed the uh, Arctic Circle.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: I'm I also had, which is officially recorded in the files on the right that I had two birthdays one year i crossed the, was it the international dateline
0: oh that's great and when i
1: went there when i went there i was on one side I had my birthday the next day was the same day starting all over again so i had two official birthdays that year so i could really say I'm 88 years old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, was where in your whole four years of service did the Korean War come? Was it in the middle or towards the end? I was right.
1: No, I was right in the while it was going on, 51 to 55.
0: So you were stationed in that area for that whole time?
1: No, 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 no. no I was all over the world.
0: Oh, you but. So what, during what time you said you could see the bombing during you know
1: oh, I don't I'm, I it would have to be around I think it was around in fifty four sometime
0: because I know in the beginning it was very desperate and it looked like it was going to be lost with North Korea pushing all the way down south mm. and then. There was the resurgent back when the U.N. and the United States got involved. But is it frustrating for you to have this be the Forgotten War? Does it feel to you like people, because there was never really a clear victory or even a peace treaty, does it feel unfinished? Or
1: Well, actually, it was never even a war.
0: That's right. It, that's it was right. a Truman conflict. Truman called it, a, yes, that's right, a police. Police, a police got yeah. Uh, so, was that hard for you? I mean, not getting the same recognition maybe your brothers did in, in no, World I War never, II? Or,
1: no, No? No, I, I only had one brother in World War II. The oldest and one. he No, actually, he was a foster brother.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, and he was over in New Guinea. He was a corpsman. hmm And at the end of his enlistment, they needed corpsmen, and they wouldn't let him go home. So they made him serve another year. So he served actually five years for him. But uh, and, uh, somewheres in this area, he had a friend that he used to come up to see. Because I, for many years, I hadn't seen or heard of him. And this was when we lived down on Mount Vernon. Then I went into service. I got married, came out of the service, got married, went to Massachusetts, Massachusetts, I came back here. And uh when I uh when I was doing some work over in the Veterans Hospital. We were doing some laying some block in there. And the um, I come walking out of the building one time, and there he was. He had been, but he had malaria, and they wouldn't let him go. They they let everybody else go, but they wouldn't let him go because he was so much needed being the corpsman. That's
0: some story. Well, our time has gone so quickly. Do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to end with for people to know, either about your honor flight experience or you know? well
1: far, I can re- honestly say that the the honor flight was far more pleasing to me than I thought it would be I mean I knew it would uh, it would be nice and I I even as a young boy I I used to dream about uh, the Lincoln Monument. When you would see him sitting in that chair mm-hmm. and look down on you, I almost swore that there's somebody sitting there looking at you.
0: And he felt alive. So, uh, yeah. And you saw this when it was a young boy. You I saw that as chicken. a
1: young child, and and I saw it again when I brought my, my kids, and I just saw it again now. And uh, it has all the... Um, the Gettysburg Address and all of that carved into the walls of the monument. It's really a beautiful thing. But uh, I am so pleased and thankful that I had the opportunity to go and that all of these people who set this thing up are amazing people. That they could control that many people, and have that much going on all day long. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't ask for a better day. And well,
0: thank you for sharing this day with us. I feel almost like I was there.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I got one thing else. I, yeah, I, I sure. got to talk about it. Yeah, is uh, Senator Bob Dole. Do you remember him? Sure. He was sitting at the, uh, at, I believe, it was to the air, air force, and uh, he was sitting, there. He's sitting in a wheelchair now. He's he's quite old now, mm-hmm. and he, uh, I, I have I have pictures taken in with him.
0: So is he a hero of yours, Bob Dole? Somebody that not particularly, know.
1: except that I knew of him and yeah. any anybody that can, ser- can serve in the in the, uh, in the uh, government of this country that can control this country, they got to be heroes. For that. you may not agree with them mm-hmm. on a, there are a lot of things that they do, but. To me, to me, they're important people, and some of them that are there now, I, I don't particularly like, but they are still elected to be there. And the ones that I do like are the ones that have been trying to make things better for all the people in this country.
0: Well, it sounds like a lot of it is. You did appreciate the monuments themselves, but it sounds like a lot of the experience was just being recognized. You know, the fire trucks, the choir singing, the yeah. motorcade, the sort of pomp and circumstance. It just that um, was
1: all great stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's, uh, the
1: uh, uh, I don't. I didn't really need anybody to pat me on the back for what I did. Because, uh, uh, like I said, all, all my brothers and myself, all enlisted, there was, uh, my foster brother was drafted in World War II. And the World War II monument is superb, beautiful thing. And uh, the Vietnam War, the wall is amazing. And to see people taking pencil and paper and trying to trace the, you know, rub the names mm-hmm. off on the uh, very unusual the, the idea wall.
0: for a monument. That yeah. the World War and II it, one's sort of more traditional, and it's big. Yeah,
1: it really is, and it's a it's on black marble, and uh, I've I've worked with marble. A lot during my growing up years, and
0: uh, as a builder, and craftsman.
1: Yes, I, I worked as a as a tile marble helper for years. Mm-hmm. I might, I worked with my dad. Worked down in Puerto Rico for nine months, building the Caribbean Hotel.
0: Oh. So, what were you going to say about the marble in the Vietnam Memorial? You were going to—it's
1: to a black marble, right? And it's a beautiful black. I—I I I imagine it's from Italy, but I'm not sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I know I've seen black marble from Italy down in in the hotel I was just talking about mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. They have a big wall going up the stairs, and that's all that black marble beautiful stuff.
0: Well, I know I interviewed Joseph Persico, who was asked to write the words that are carved on the World War II monument. And he said it was the hardest, I think, seven words he ever wrote. And he wrote, um, let me see if I can find them, here we mark the price of freedom. And it's just a wonderful image, I think, for all of us to think of veterans like yourself being able to return to a place, the capital of the country, where that service is honored. Yeah, it's very, very touching. Well, we,
1: we all wanted, and I, myself in, in particular, I, I wanted to help the underprivileged people that didn't have have a chance to serve in the services. I think that uh, we, we all need to work together to make sure that we have the freedoms that we have. And not to make this political, I don't want to make this political but the the freedoms that we had that the there was over 400,000 people died there in the second world war and the korean wars and they uh they said that uh they have a a, a wall of these little stars
0: mm
1: mm-hmm. and each star was the was the
0: represented, represented a certain number of people. people that's where died. these words are carved. He called it poetry and granite. That's where those words are, right over those stars. Here yeah. we mark the price of freedom. Yeah. yeah.
1: But that's four hundred they represent four hundred thousand lives.
0: Well, I'm glad yours is a life. That is still here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you had that day, and I'm glad you could share it with us. Thank you so much.
1: I appreciate you allowing me to do it.